0: Welcome to The Policy Shop, weekly conversations with public policy experts where we'll dive into the most important issues affecting all of us here in Illinois. I'm Hillary Gowans. Let's get started. Today joining me is Chief Economist Orfe Divungi, who is going to be talking about the true state of the Illinois economy. As we all know, the governor came out last week uh, with his budget proposal and his take on Illinois' economy the data show some different information and Orfe is going to be sharing uh, with us a little bit about what's really going on with Illinois' economy. Orfe, thanks for joining me.
1: Oh, well, thanks for having me.
0: Um, okay, so quickly, we talked about uh, Pritzker's budget last week and, and how there are some things that were said that were not necessarily true, for example. The governor said that Illinois is looking at a billion dollar plus surplus when in fact we're actually facing a billion dollar plus deficit. But I want to go beyond that with you um, because you followed Illinois pre and post pandemic. Mm-hmm. So right now, let's talk about where Illinois's economy sits today relative to the rest of the country.
1: Yeah, you know, before I talk about Illinois' economy, I have to say that, you know, we're facing a uh, record Uh, inflation, right? The highest in 40 years across the US and huge labor shortages. Uh, And so that's a major constraint on economic growth for the country. Uh, And in Illinois, uh, we are so far below our uh, pre-pandemic employment level, uh, it's scary. uh, We're still down roughly 250,000 jobs when compared to before the pandemic. And so there's a lot of people that are absent, uh, and many of them have actually left the state altogether.
0: What I thought was really interesting in some of the research you put out recently was this idea of return or retire. So, this phenomenon of workers who were maybe on the cusp of retirement age just opting out altogether. What are the demographic breakdowns of this employment problem?
1: Yeah, you know, we are in a position where we don't have, we have a younger population, relatively. Uh, Speaking, right, compared to other states, Illinois is younger. Illinois has great amenities, uh, but we have a public policy problem, right? We have issues with uh, rising property taxes. You know, I I put out a study recently. uh, Data shows that property taxes in Chicago nearly doubled in the last decade, right? We have so many public policy issues that people don't actually want to move here, right? And so population loss actually accelerated in the last few years that J.B. Pritzker has been governor and it's not surprising, you know, research shows us that people prefer, uh, lower taxes, right. A low cost, uh, of government. Uh, they look for, uh, jobs. Illinois lags the rest of the country, uh, you know, in the last, I wouldn't say decade, uh, in terms of job creation, uh, people look for affordable housing. Uh, and so, uh, and so they go places where, uh, they're going to find those things. Uh, what we learned during the pandemic when uh, migration actually increased, uh, in, interstate migration increased, is that people went to less densely populated areas. OK, we, we knew that because that's, you know, kind of the COVID effect. But also they went to places with fewer regulations. Right. And so when they moved to those areas, those new uh, migrants stimulated local housing markets and labor markets. Right. So they went in there. They bought houses. Uh, which stimulated construction and, and employment in, in in those areas. They bought, they spent a lot of their money in those areas, which also helped with the employment recovery, right? So you had a massive increase in demand uh, for goods in those areas that actually stimulated the local economy. Unfortunately, Illinois missed out on that, right? So our loss was other states' gain, uh, and, and that's really unfortunate.
0: It's a terrible position to be in for a lot of people who are having to make this decision. I just had a friend actually on Friday of last week, she dropped off something at my house and then she and her family hit the road to Nashville. They moved, uh, both born and raised in Illinois, went to school here Mm -hmm. and enough was enough, I guess. uh, And I hope that everything goes well for them, but it's a terrible decision to be making. And one of the things that my friend said to me was that it was heartbreaking to leave behind family and friends. And, you know, you talk a lot about the the migration problem. It's, it's on steroids now a little bit. And I wonder if there will be regret if people will look back and say, you know, I made a rash decision. Um, I wonder if the grass really is greener. On the other hand, you are another migration story. You moved from the city to the suburbs. That's right. Was that a phenomenon that you observed when you were looking at what people were doing in terms of housing decision?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think we saw a lot of that during the COVID crisis, right? So people moved to the suburbs and uh, suburban uh, housing uh, was on fire, right? So we saw housing prices increase a lot in the suburbs. That was true in most uh, states, right? In most outside major cities uh, around the country uh, and, you know, people were leaving the cities. Now, I think what's going to happen as we kind of got past, uh, you know, uh, these new variants that are not so severe, right, is that some people are starting to consider go, moving back to the cities, Right. Uh, So that is a phenomenon that happened during COVID. People wanted more space. They wanted to live in less densely populated areas. And so they moved to suburban areas, right? And that helped housing markets in those places. Now, unfortunately, so we saw rapid housing appreciation around the country. Unfortunately, housing appreciation, even in Illinois, right, lagged uh, the rest of the country, right? And it lagged because, you know, for housing to increase, you need people, right? You need demand for housing to increase. Uh, a lot. The reason why we saw housing appreciation across the country uh, and, and even some in Illinois was that the U.S. had a long uh, housing shortage, a, a big housing shortage even before the pandemic. And so the stimulus dollars that we got from the federal government, the Federal Reserve Bank helped, right, to stimulate housing demand. We saw mortgage rates fall to the lowest rates uh, in recent history. Uh, we saw, so we saw that actually stimulate demand, help help people get on the property ladder. Uh, and then those who were living in the cities got to move to the suburbs. Uh, are we going to see that uh, next year? You know, we're starting to see construction pick up around the country. And so the increase in construction is actually going to cause prices to decelerate, the pr- prices, price increases to decelerate. So we're going to see a housing market that continues to thrive, but that's going to be uh, that's not going to see the kind of price appreciation that we saw Uh, in the last year. Uh, That's going to be true everywhere. Uh, Unfortunately, of course, Illinois continues to lag. And we lag because we just have so many uh, factors, public policy factors that actually deter people from coming to to live in the state of Illinois.
0: I want to jump in here too, because uh, we talked about, you know, where are we now? Mm -hmm. But we also have to take into consideration where we were before COVID hit. And Illinois already knows what happens with our recoveries after massive economic downturns. We saw what happened after the Great Recession. We had the slowest recovery of any state in the country. Um, So let's backtrack a little bit and talk about pre-COVID. What were the biggest and most important things to know about how our economy was doing before the world went sideways?
1: Absolutely, we were we were struggling already, right? So the economy was growing. So I'm not saying the economy was not growing; it was growing, but it was growing at a much slower rate uh, than other states, uh, you know. And again, and it's mostly because uh, the supply problem, right? We have fewer people every year. Our population is declining. Uh, a lot of our migrants are working-age uh, Illinoisans, right? Uh, some are retired, uh, but even among retirees. What we see around the country is that labor force participation among retirees was actually trending up. And so if we could just keep people here, uh, that would really help, right? So this uh, constraint on the supply side, right, the the lack of people willing to work in Illinois, uh, let me rephrase that. It's not really the lack of people willing to work. It's mostly the, the lack of people altogether. The fact that we don't have people, that people are leaving the state Uh, actually is a a major constraint for uh, employment growth and and increases in the size of our economy.
0: And we should also talk to, so you're talking about the lack of workers, which has continued to be a bigger and bigger problem today. Mm -hmm. Um, You see teacher shortages, businesses that can't find staff to operate. Um, A lot of that has to do with the restrictions that different states imposed. So this week alone, you see states like Delaware and uh, New Jersey, for example, saying that they're going to roll back their uh, mask mandates. Iowa, neighboring Iowa, said last week, governor said, uh, we're going to end emergency powers because we are now in the endemic phase of the virus. Mm-hmm. Wherever you fall on this issue, and of course, this is probably the most polarizing issue in the last 10 years. Right. Um, We should talk about the fact that there was a Johns Hopkins study that came out last week that showed that while lockdowns did not do very much in the way of curbing uh, the negative effects of the virus long term, they did have serious economic harm. They did impose serious economic harm. We don't need to talk about whether lockdowns were good or bad, but the data show what happened to Illinois because we had some of the most severe restrictions in the country? What what do they show?
1: Yeah, you, you know, it's it's interesting you say that. You know, regardless of where you fall on the issues, you've got to follow the data, right? So, and uh, and full disclaimer out there: I'm a big mask supporter, and I'm double vaccinated, right? And so, I don't have anything against uh, people doing what they feel is right for them. Uh, but what I'm gonna say though is that um, the research actually shows that. Um, regardless, the, the severity of restrictions uh, was is not correlated whatsoever with death rates across the country, and uh, and also uh, that you know while we encourage people to get vaccinated, vaccination rates are not correlated with uh, the recovery either across the country, and so uh, and so you know I want to say that look whatever however we fall on these issues, the one thing we know for sure is that lockdowns had a massive negative impact on the economy. Uh, And and, and it is clear that COVID also has a negative impact on the economy and that controlling the spread is is very important because COVID is a risk to the economy, but that lockdowns are not good. They don't work. They hurt people and they don't actually help to control the spread of the virus. We saw that even recently, right, when we closed our borders from certain countries because of Omicron. And it just turns out Omicron was already in the U.S. And we had a massive wave of Omicron, right? Uh, we punished people from certain countries uh, and kept, out, kept them outside of the country uh, away from maybe their families and friends, right? So, uh, so we know this stuff doesn't work, uh, and, but we know it hurts the economy. And so maybe we ought to rethink our public health policies.
0: You did some uh, very interesting research on the effects of lockdowns, not just the economic lockdowns, but also the school closures, specifically as they affect women. Mm-hmm. Can you share some of that? Because we've talked about it before, but not in a while.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, we know that COVID uh, had a huge negative impact on, uh, on women in particular, disproportionate impact on women. Uh, female labor force participation decreased. Tremendously during the COVID crisis, uh, part of it was well, you know, jobs dried up. Many women were in occupations that were, you know, kind of deemed non-essential by some governors around the country. They were in occupations where they were supposed to be in close contact with people, and so they, you know, they had to stay home. Uh, that was one thing. So they lost they lost their jobs. Uh, but also school closures, right? School closures, the lack of availability of daycare availability, actually resulted in women being forced uh, home to take care of their kids. So even if they didn't lose their jobs, they now had to be home to take care of their kids and, you know, and their families uh, to care for loved ones. And so we saw this massive negative impact that COVID had on families. And so uh, when we started to see you know, kind of the wave decrease, uh, it would have been nice for the same governors who forced school closures to actually come out and say, "Hey." Uh, let's actually force schools to be reopened. Uh, there's an interesting study even at a, a UNICEF that shows that basically, you know, missed days uh, in class, right, uh, had a huge negative impact on children around the world. Uh, the impact was much larger, larger for minorities, for blacks, Hispanic kids, brown kids, right, Bl- brown and black, and it, it was awful. And so, um, you know, the gap is increasing. And we need in-person classroom time to uh to help stop this crisis right there's generations uh there's kids that are going to be affected for their the rest of their lives because of that time they missed uh in the classroom
0: you talk about the effect of school closures on kids and families what One thing that I think is really interesting, and we all watched this earlier this year uh, play out in Virginia where Junkin was elected governor, um, and I want to pivot from the schools to Virginia, and the other thing that this guy campaigned on in, in the governor's race, which was tax relief. Mm-hmm. So going back to this idea of tax relief, that was a big component in J.B. Pritzker's budget address. He said he wants to give people relief on gas taxes. He wants to give people relief on property taxes and grocery taxes. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I bring up Virginia is because this is what Youngkin was talking about on the campaign trail. So J.B. actually, you know, I don't think he would be a fan of this Republican governor elect, but he kind of took a page from his playbook with his budget address. So I want to talk to you about this idea of cutting taxes without addressing spending reform.
1: Right, of course. I mean, this is really, really dangerous, right? So across the country, what we saw is a huge increase in uh, revenues, uh, mostly due to inflation, right? Incomes increased. We had massive growth uh, from the pre pandemic lows, right? And so uh, revenues came in higher than expected. Uh, a lot of it also had to do with federal dollars, right? We got a lot of money from the federal government, uh, you know, that went to local, local state and local governments. So revenues are high, uh, housing values increased, right? Uh, and we had this inflation problem. And so uh, unless you fix right, the structural spending issues, uh, that revenue, number one, will be short-lived, right? So you know, next year, as inflation comes down, next year, the revenue probably won't be as large right, as it was uh, this year. And so unless you fix the spending side of the equation, uh, you can't bank on this revenue uh, to be there next year. And so you're going to end up uh, with uh, in a worse situation than you were before the pandemic if you're not very careful. We're seeing a lot of that across the country, right? California, every, everywhere, they're, you know, they're banking on this extra revenue to, to do things that uh, won't be feasible next year uh, or the year after. Uh, so I would say, I would advocate uh, for JB to actually consider the spending side. I would actually cut spending, right, or, uh, and put some of that money into a rainy day fund. You know, Illinois never really had a rainy day fund. Maybe it's time to actually build up that rainy day fund and, and save for a rainy day, right? Uh, so, uh, but, you know, unfortunately, that's not, that wasn't really a big part of his budget. Uh, and then you have to consider the idea that, you know, states have all this cash and uh we're seeing massive price increases across the country right so you know inflation is really high and the federal reserve bank is actually going to be working really hard to bring inflation down Uh, i I think the last thing we want is uh to kind of add fuel to this fire uh and push prices even higher uh so uh my recommendation would be okay let's cut spending um build in some structural reforms. In Illinois, we have this pension problem that prevents spending cuts uh, or even savings, right, in, into a rainy day fund. So fixing our, the pension problem in Illinois would be, would be the first step. Uh, cutting spending, saving a little bit for a rainy day uh, so that we don't kind of waste this opportunity that we had with the massive spending if revenue increases uh, to actually help the state uh, stayed along, right? So, and fix kind of the problems that we've seen that we've had in the past.
0: Yeah, you hate to be a cynic, or I guess maybe you'd be a realist, but the timing of tax relief proposals from the governor, uh, you kind of have to ask yourself if this is pre election budgeting.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it looks that way, right? It, it, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of convenient uh, that, you know, a governor who raised taxes in every single budget so far is finally. Um, saying, hey, we need to give low income households a break um, when he actually raised the gas tax and all these highly regressive uh, taxes uh, for three years in a row. Uh, so, um, you know, I would I, I like to think that people have, uh, uh, you know, good, good, um, are, are benevolent and are, are you know, are, are trying to do the right thing and want to help people. And so I'm not going to say, you know, I'm going to hope that J.B. Pritzker has uh, has good intentions and that he's not politically driven, but it just sure looks that way, right? When, you know, when, you know, you have a governor who raised taxes in every single budget and is finally saying, you know, it's an election year, I'm going to cut taxes and give some money back to to people. uh, It just looks a little bit, uh, you know, off to me.
0: Well, the reason I love talking with you is that you are always giving your perspective based on the data. You are a common sense person and I really appreciate you laying out the facts as they are now on the economy in Illinois. So thank you for joining us, Orfe.
1: Thanks for having me, Hillary. Uh, hope to be back soon.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To keep up with all of our work at the Illinois Policy Institute and to sign up for our newsletter, visit IllinoisPolicy.org. If you like what you heard today, subscribe and give us a five-star review. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Policy Shop.